to this episode of Macro Matters, the podcast where we tackle the big macroeconomic themes of the day and discuss what it means for your portfolio. My name is Abigail Cushing, and I'm joined by Mark Astley, the co-CEO of Millennium Global Investments. Mark, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. 2022 was a remarkable year for global markets, with macro volatility back at a level not seen since really the mid-1980s, and forces conspiring to destroy the concept of the traditional 60-40 portfolio, which experienced its worst performance since the 1930s. Currency volatility also came back with a vengeance, more than doubling over the course of the year, with some very real consequences for international portfolios. Given this macro landscape, as we headed to 2023, Mark, I'd like to explore with you what's changed in foreign exchange markets, what's driving this explosion in volatility, and and what we can expect from here. I thought we'd start by touching on the BIS Triennial Central Bank FX Survey, which was just recently released by the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, This survey comes out once every three years and has since 1986, so it's been going strong for 36 years now. And it compiles information from over 1,200 different banks across 52 jurisdictions. So it really is the most comprehensive source of information available on the size and structure of global OTC currency and interest rate derivatives markets. It is, as you might imagine, a rather dense document. So Mark, for the benefit of our listeners who may not have had the pleasure of going through it in its entirety, what in your mind are the key takeaways from this year's report? Yes, as you say, it really is the gold standard for statistics on uh, the marketplace. And yet again, we've seen a growth in the daily turnover to a gargantuan level of 7.0 trillion US dollars a day, which is up around about 15% from 2019. If you put this in a broader context, back in 2010, it was about 3.9 billion. So in the past 12 years, it's almost doubled. So a very vigorous and significant growth in the marketplace, uh, as is the need for using for institutions using it to hedge, uh, trade in all different ways, uh, as well as the growth in the interbank market. Uh, the US dollar is preeminent. Uh, it's part of 89% of all trades uh, on one side of them. Uh, the euro is in second place, far lower, but around about a third. The Japanese yen of the order of a sixth and the British pound Uh, about uh, a seventh of all global turnover. The most notable change in the order really has come from China. China's grown from a proportion of the total in 2019 of 4%, now three years on to 2022, of 7%. It's now the fifth most traded currency in the world, uh, which is very noteworthy, both in the aggregation of the offshore and the onshore market. If you look at both developed markets and emerging markets, um, there is somewhat of a crossover where the G10 includes the Antipodeans like Australia and New Zealand. But in point of fact, the growth in the volumes is such that Korea, India, and now Mexico all trade more uh, than New Zealand in terms of the daily turnover. And therefore liquidity in accessing those emerging markets has grown in concert with that. By geography, the market is still based in the UK with London at its centre. And that, uh, in terms of turnover, is double what it is in New York with the three Asian centres, namely Singapore, Hong Kong and Japan, coming uh, in third, fourth and fifth place in that order. And perhaps notably, 
Singapore has leapfrogged Hong Kong for the first time ever in this past survey, perhaps to do with the change of the political environment uh, in Hong Kong over the last couple of years. In Japan has slid slightly to from 5% to 4% of global turnover. That is in concert with perhaps what 30 years ago was seen as Tokyo's perhaps preeminence and emerging dominance of the Asian Pacific region. That really hasn't happened. Uh, Japan continues to be a fairly insular market, and that is also the case uh, in foreign exchange. By dint of um, the users of the market, uh, institutions that is, around about 11% to $850 billion a day is used by pension funds, endowments, foundations, what is colloquially called real money. And that is a larger sector or segment than the hedge fund community, which is around uh, $500 billion, uh, 7%. And both of those have slipped a little bit um, by way of proportion and in absolute value because for the last three or four years, the volatility in currencies has been pretty low. Now, our expectation is that's going to train, change significantly given the opportunity set, the rise of volatility, the differentiation in uh, interest rates and so forth as a result of the big pickup of inflation we saw in 2022. Just lastly, if we put the foreign exchange market into context, that $7.6 trillion number compares with a daily turnover in US treasuries of about 600 billion, so less than one tenth. And if we take the broadest measure of global equity exchanges, and by that I'm talking about 90 or 95 different exchanges around the world, that um, statistic is around $650 billion of turnover every day. And so again, it's completely dwarfed by the, uh, the size of the foreign exchange market. So very robust, growing significantly uh, and healthy by all accounts. Those are some interesting developments and I think shed some light on key trends we might expect to continue in the coming months and years. Let's focus on last year. 2022 was an extraordinary year for financial markets, to say the least, and, and no less so for foreign exchange. Why was last year such a standout year for currency markets? Yes, we've done some analysis of this and gone back to the full history of floating foreign exchange markets since the early 70s. Uh, around about 50 years or so of history. And notably, 2022 was fourth out of 50 years if we measure uh, the activity in the marketplace by the range of the dollar, dollars move over the calendar year, which is quite remarkable. In fact, furthermore, the year in third place was 2008, which was the global financial crisis, so what, somewhat of an exception. And similarly, the year in second place was 1985, when we had the Plaza Accord and the collaboration by global central banks to intervene in the market, the like of which they really have never done since. So to the extent that the moves behind the big range in 2022 were, let's call it organic, it was right up there as the most significant year in history. Last year, um, followed the previous five years where volatility was amongst the lowest of the entirety of the data set. So 2022 really was a standout year. Now, the reasons for this were principally due to the change we've had in the economic environment by dint of, as we all now know, significant growing inflation on at least a cyclical basis. It proved not to be transitory. And in particular, the shift in monetary policy and interest rates around the world and most particularly for foreign exchange, 
the interest rate differentials between the United States, Europe, and Japan in particular, and with uh, countries elsewhere. And those changes were the driving force behind this significant uh, uptick in volatility. It's notable that forward-looking estimates for volatility are still very elevated. So this regime is expected to remain. And in context, we have expected volatility now of something like double um, what it was in mid-2021 in the case of the euro against the dollar, and even triple that in the case of the yen against the dollar. So we believe the 2023 is going to be a significant year as well in foreign exchange. Perhaps the other thing to note is that as we begin the year, the valuation imbalances, despite these big moves, are still evident. So they have not closed significantly as a consequence of these moves. And we are faced with an undervalued euro of the like of 25% against the dollar, uh, the yen not dissimilar. Uh, and against the euro, the Swiss franc, 45% overvalued and the Norwegian krona about 30%. So very significant imbalances, which are likely to feed into the potential for big moves again in 2023. That's a very different landscape than what we've seen in some time. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, what we experienced last year was not merely a phenomenon, and now we'll return to the smoother environment we've generally seen in the year since the financial crisis, but that we should expect this wild ride in currency markets to continue. Can you expand on that? Well, we take a long-term context and go back to maybe the late 50s into the 60s and, and beyond, take a, a long-term perspective. Then the uncertainty in markets in the first part of the period, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, was extremely high. And we can measure this by examining the US GDP volatility and that of US inflation. And over that epoch, we had numbers approaching on a five-year rolling standard deviation basis, something like two and a half to three percent. We then moved to the period of what's colloquially known as the Great Moderation, which really began in the 90s and certainly after the Nasdaqing of the world. Then in both measures, the volatility of real GDP and inflation fell to about one to one and a half. To answer your question, we think we've now changed to a completely new regime akin to the first part of that long history, where the volatility in these measures has soared again to the kind of numbers I mentioned initially, two and a half, three percent on a rolling year basis. So the wellspring of this, we believe, is the big change in inflation that's come out of uh, the pandemic, the supply chain problems, the monetary largesse the easy monetary policy for a long time, the QE, infinity, and such like. And that has really sown the seeds for this big change in the macro environment, which is evident uh, across uh, decennial periods that I've just mentioned. However, if we think of the same time period and we put the current level of the Fed funds rate into context, it's actually below the average for the entirety of the last 50 years, uh, from let's say 1972 to 2022. We're currently uh, at a level around the low fours. And in fact, the average for that period was just under 5%. So despite the most significant rise in terms of price and time that we've had in 40 years, we're still below the long-term average. So this is not out of kilter with historical norms. And in fact, we might reflect and comment that the aberration 
It's not what we've seen in 2022. What we saw after the global financial crisis, when all rates went to zero, and yet again, again in a pandemic. So that's behind us now, and arguably we're not revisiting that again for a generation or more. The final thing to comment would be that this really is the new normal uh, in markets today and not a cyclical aberration, the like of which was perhaps expected at the beginning of 2022. So what have we learned? As investors lick their wounds from what was for many a painful year and start planning for 2023 and beyond, what lessons should be applied? Are the rules of the game different now? And if so, how do institutional investors account for that in their portfolios? Yes, well, putting this currency phenomena of 2022 into context, what is clear is in the last number of years, the proportion of risk in international investments coming from currencies is growing. Um, If we think of the last 20 or 30 years, the contribution to risk in international equity portfolios has been the order of 20, 25% perhaps. In the last five years, it's been anywhere from 30 to 50%. uh, And 2022 was no different. And so the learning here is that the the contribution of currency exposure to total risk in international portfolios, whether they be in equity or fixed income, has grown. It's ever more important to focus on that as a source of risk going forward and to manage it appropriately. Because in essence, when investing internationally, uh, an investor will have two portfolios of risk, not just the one which will be held for a portfolio denominated in the base currency of the investor. Uh, The two portfolios are the underlying assets themselves in local currency terms, which generate uh, risk and return as a consequence of the evolution of prices of those assets. And secondarily, the basket of currencies themselves. And that added complexity means that it has to be managed, uh, particularly given that the contribution to risk coming from this area uh, is growing. I think the other learning is that As we move forward, the prospective returns likely to accrue to traditional assets are more challenged in the 2020s than they have been for some while, for two reasons. One is that, particularly in the case of the United States, the proportion of profits uh, out of GDP is now at probably a secular high. Uh, Looking at the national accounts data, it shows around about 12% of GDP is accrued to corporate profits, compared with about 6.5% in 1980. So the prospect for that to grow further is less likely, particularly in an environment where inflation is going to compress margins, which is where a lot of that growth has come from. That's the first issue. The second is that having had a secular downtrend in interest rates for almost exactly 40 years from about 1981 to 2021, we're now probably not on just a cyclical, but a secular change of regime where bond yields are going to trend higher and therefore returns to traditional fixed income assets are going to be challenged. So that suggests that portfolios need to be more diversified, particularly as as we mentioned earlier, that the uh, 60-40 portfolio performed so poorly last year. But also there's going to be a greater need for alpha 
um, which can be gleaned from many sources, including uh, FX. And there'll be a greater need for left tail mitigation, where downside risks uh, are significant, significant. And we've seen again in 2022 that that needs to be addressed. Um, and the hedging approach to left tail risk is very more important, ever more important. From an institutional investor perspective, it's notable that there's been a lot more interest in guiding investors to manage currency risk. For example, Bridgewater Associates have recently issued some research advising clients about hedging currency risk for the first time in many years because the impact is so significant. And indeed, they highlight that over the last 18 months or so, depending on what base currency you're managing your assets in, there could have been a difference of 30 percentage points of performance because of the significant moves in the dollar, the euro, the yen and other currencies around the world. And they make the observation that, in fact, the management of currency risk is perhaps as important as the actual underlying assets that an institutional investor owns because of the impact being so much bigger than it has been uh, in prior years. And uh, that's a big deal, as they mentioned. And therefore, the focus on managing currency risk perhaps is uh, more highlighted today as it ought to be than it has been for many years. Those are some helpful points on how investors might think about navigating the year ahead. Still looking ahead, what are the biggest risks in your view to the now seemingly priced in Goldilocks scenario where the Fed can engineer a soft landing, inflation goes back to 2% without a hugely disruptive hit to growth, and global equity and bond markets begin a sustained recovery? Are we going to be that lucky? Yeah, I think um, we're really threading the needle uh, if we believe as a consensus seems to, that uh, the Fed will pause rates quite soon, that we'll have a recession which will remain mild, uh, that earnings growth will continue, and that the Fed will start cutting rates in the second half, uh, as the consensus forward curve uh, suggests. Um, on the one hand, one might argue that if inflation has to be Quashed, then you will need a significant downturn in aggregate demand. And is that really consistent with a mild recession? And similarly, if there is a mild recession, is that consistent with the Fed cutting rates in the second half of the year, as is uh, currently expected by the market? So I think one has to thread the needle some, in some sense for that to be accurate. I think the risks are, on the one hand, that inflation remains sticky. And whilst it does appear to coming down because of base effects and the like, and supply chains opening up, whether we really come down to the 2% target is an open question. And therefore, it may mean that the Fed has to remain tight in its monetary policy framework for longer than is currently expected. And on the corollary of that, then it's possible that we're going to face a much, much deeper recession because the monetary tightening is going to have a significant impact, uh, as we've seen in the mortgage market already, but may hit the labor market um, as we move through 2023 as well. Our view would probably be that the risks favor the latter, that in fact the vulnerabilities in the economy uh, suggest that there could be a, a greater a downturn and the Fed may be facing a foreign policy mistake if it tightens for too long. But we'll have to see that as the data evolves um, 
uh, as we move forward. Certainly, our fear is also that structural inflationary pressures into 2024, 5 and beyond are going to assert themselves. And therefore, if we do win the battle in the near term, it's not one for good. And so that's certainly something for later on uh, this decade. If you could leave investors with one piece of advice, Mark, what would it be? We live in an environment today, financially and economically, more uncertain, arguably, than any time since the end of the Cold War in 1989. And that means the focus on risk mitigation and mitigation of downside is perhaps more important than ever. Um, and it's important to focus on strategies in all asset classes, but particularly currency, which is so focused on macro, where left tail risk is mitigated. And so it encourages investors to look in that direction. Similarly, there's going to be a premium on liquidity and the access of diversifying alpha strategies, which are highly liquid, are also going to trade at a premium and they will be a very useful adjunct to a traditional portfolio given the paucity returns that have been in traditional 60-40 portfolios. So I think that's a key area of focus as well. Thank you, Mark, for joining me today. This has been an enlightening discussion and it sounds as if we have months, if not years ahead of us of this, uh, let's call it interesting ride in, in global macro and currency markets, where dispersion will no doubt uncover meaningful risks and opportunities ahead for investors. Thank you very much.